Good morning. A few weeks ago, we were meeting in my office at Wilmot Center. Pastor Rob was there, and Pastors James and David were there. And James asked if I could come, and Pastor Rob spoke up and said, yes, he will. <laughs> I guess I'm going. And uh, James asked if I would speak on my book. And I really react against that because the last thing I want to do is to hawk my wares in the house of God. Okay, it's not about you buying books, okay? La la, here's my big advertisement. I don't want to do that. I never want to do that. However, I do have books and they are for sale. <laughs> 20 bucks, okay? Um, and, and Pastor James asked me to, to talk on my book. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I prepared something else and uh, com- complete with a PowerPoint and notes and everything. And uh, last night, Pastor David calls me and talks for a while, and he says, so are you going to preach through your book like we asked? I'm like, no, not really. Oh, okay. And uh, so I'm like, should I, shouldn't I? And uh, got off the phone, I said, okay, Lord, what do I need to do? And the Lord said, are you doing what you said you would do? Are you doing what they'd ask you to do? And I was like, no. <laughs> okay, okay. Lord, you're going to have to give me something. Then we get here this morning, we go for prayer, and, Pastor, and Wayne is show, showing us a diagram about what he taught at university in his engineering class about how the world was broken, but God had made it good, and it was broken, and how he provided the answer. And I'm thinking, he's preaching my book. Maybe I could just get Wayne up here, and he could teach it, and that would save me a lot of stress. And, uh, and then the songs today were just... Some of my very favorite songs, and that new one was just amazing and everything. So I'm glad to be here, and I'm preaching by the seat of my pants today, because I'm not sure where this is going or how it's going to come out, but we're going to start, okay? If that's okay with you, I guess it'll have to be, because that's what's going to happen. So we're going to start, oh, thank you, clapping, yay, thank you. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sitting there going, Lord, I need a verse. What will encapsulate my message? And he immediately brought Ephesians 2 to, to mind, verses 8 through 10. And this is what I want to sort of hang my message on. And then we're going to go back and sort of do a quick synthesis of what Christianity is supposed to be all about. Okay, we're going to take a, a real fast overview of the whole scope of history. Okay, and the scope of your life. Okay, so we're going to start here in Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. We have the gospel there, that we're saved by faith. But we also have uh, the, the mention there that he has a prepared plan for us, things he wants us to do and be and accomplish in our lives. And uh, so, by the way, the subtitle of my book, my book is called Let the Warriors Arise, but the tagline is Take Up Your Identity and Destiny in Christ. And so that's what I want to talk to us about this morning, is that, that we have an identity and we have a destiny in Christ that God wants us to fulfill. I was thinking we're all on a journey. We're all going from somewhere to somewhere. We're also in a process because we're becoming something that we are not now. Hopefully you're not the same you were 10 years ago. You're growing in your relationship with Christ, and your journey is not complete because he is calling us 
back to where he started us off in his image. And uh, so we're, we're going to be looking at that, but I want us to start by emphasizing the fact that you're on a journey, and like everybody else, you have some unanswered questions in life. We seem to have the same set of basic questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who can I trust? And what am I here to do? Sound familiar? Anybody identify with those things? Why are you here? Why has God given you life? What is it that he intends for you to accomplish in life? And more than that, what does he intend for you to become as you journey through this experience that we call life in human history? So let me paint a picture for you of where we all came from so that we can have a good understanding of where we are and then where we're going to be going. So we need to start at the beginning. That's always a good place. And that's going right back to Genesis and in chapter 1 there, we're not going to take time because if it's, it's a 250-page book and I can't do that in half an hour, so we're going to go fast. But in Genesis, it says that God said to themselves, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the world, over the fish, over the birds, over the animal, all those things. He had two purposes in mind for us. One was that we were to be his representation. When it says that we were made, humans were made in the image of God, it doesn't mean we look like God. God does not look like us. But we were his representation on the earth. That's who we are. We're his representatives, his ambassadors. But it also says what we were here to do, and that was to have dominion. Let them rule. Let them have dominion over the earth. In other words, as his ambassadors, we were to represent him on the earth to establish and extend the kingdom of God on this, in this world. That's what we're here for. That was his purpose. That was his plan. That was his divine will, was that Adam and Eve would represent him accurately on the face of the earth and extend the earth. Therefore, go and rule and extend the kingdom on the earth. Sounds like a great plan. And as far as we know, it was a wonderful existence. There was no death. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no threat. There was no brokenness. There was no emotional woundedness. There was just perfect relationship between Adam and Eve, between Adam and his God, and between God and his uh, subjects, and between Eve and her God, and between uh, God and Eve, and it was just this perfect, happy, wonderful relationship where there was no threat, no danger, no problems, and we called it paradise, and we did that for a good reason. However, we know that God does not want robots. He doesn't want slaves. He wants friends, and he wants sons and daughters, and he wants authentic relationship with his creation. The issue with that is we can't have a real relationship if there's no option. There has to be an alternative to obedience so that we can choose obedience. If we had no option but to obey him, we'd just be robots. And so God, in his wisdom and a wisdom that exceeds our understanding, has allowed us to have free will, and with that came the choice, or the option rather, of disobeying him. And he has never taken away that free will, has he? We still have free will today. It's damaged, we're wounded for sure, 
but we still have a choice to make whether to follow him or not. And so that's a question this morning. Have you decided to follow Jesus? I hope that you have. He made us with that option, and sure enough, that option became a reality because in uh, Genesis 2 and 3, we read the fact that Satan came along and tempted Eve and started to weave into her thinking some deception. She didn't know that's what it was, but she started to believe what he was saying to her. And first of all, he attacked the word of God. Did God really say? And he created doubt. Did he say it? And she answered, oh no, he said, and, you know, thou shalt not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the day you eat of it, you're going to die. She quoted back the word of God, and then not only did Satan question the word, he denied the word because he said, you're not going to die. And he proceeded to attack Eve's identity. Eve, there's something critically wrong with you. If you only knew how wrong it would, you are, you would understand your horrible situation because God knows that in the day you eat that fruit, something's going to happen to you. First of all, your eyes will be opened. In other words, Eve, you're spiritually blind. You don't understand things. But if you do what I say, your eyes could be open. You can fix that problem. Not only that, you don't know the difference between good and evil. You have no experiential knowledge of what good is or what evil is, and you need that. And God is keeping that knowledge from you by saying, don't eat of this tree. And the third thing is that you will become like God. And if Eve has to become like God, doesn't that say she's not like God now? Forget the fact that God had made her in his image and said she was very good, but Satan convinced her that, we're, that he, she was no good. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't the enemy come to us and tell us that we're no good, there's something critically wrong with us? Not only does he convince us we have a problem, he also has a solution. That's called performance. Eve... I have a plan that will fix all your problems. Just eat the fruit. See, the situation wasn't really about fruit. It wasn't about Adam and Eve. It was about Satan establishing his dominion and his rule on the earth. And by her obedience and Adam's obedience, what did they do? They took the dominion that God had given them and they became obedient to the enemy. And in so doing, they gave him dominion on the face of the earth. God entrusted them with the ability to rule, and they turned around and obeyed him. And Romans 6 says, don't you know that you become the slaves of the one you obey? And Satan's authority on this earth was established with what we call the fall. Romans also tells us that by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so all died. It doesn't stop there, though, because God also had a plan. As much as Satan had a plan, God had a plan. It was a better plan, and that was the plan of redemption. You know what? Even though we fell into sin, even though Adam and Eve were sinners, even though they became the enemies of God by their sworn allegiance to Satan, granted, they didn't say, okay, we're going to take our allegiance from God and we're going to give to this guy, but that's what they did, and the effect was the same, and all those curses were released on the earth, the consequences of their sin. Among those consequences was the broken relationship with God. They no, no longer knew God. They didn't walk with him. They didn't have his revelation. 
and it just unleashed a whole host of problems. And God said, I will still address those problems. Even though you are what you are, I still want to be in relationship with you. I still love you. And in spite of the fact that we messed up and the world became so broken, what does John 3.16 tell us? God so loved the world. Broken enemies that we were, he still loved us so much that he would send his son to die on the cross so that we could have life in him. Therefore, Ephesians 2 says, For by grace are you saved. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's the good things that he gives to us when we don't deserve them. And our salvation is a gift that we do not deserve. If we th- And see, that's the real root of... Um, performance orientation is I can deserve God's favor. If I'm a good little boy, if I do all the right stuff, if I don't do all the bad stuff, surely God is going to be pleased with me and let me go to heaven. The end process, or the end product rather, of performance orientation is universalism and relativism. We can all get to be good enough for God. I'm a nice person. I haven't murdered anybody lately. That makes me good enough. I should get to go to heaven. What is that? That's my merit. That's my good works. But Ephesians 2 says it's not by works of righteousness, which we've done. But according to his mercy, he saved us, right? And so we have the mercy of God to rely on. And that's the difference between Christianity and every other faith system. Every other faith system is what I can do to please God and make him happy with me. Christianity is I know I'm a broken individual and in my own strength I can never be good enough for God. Therefore, I need a Savior and that Savior's name is Jesus Christ. So God loved us enough to send his Son to become a man, to live on this earth, to show us what God was like and to die in our place so that he would take all the punishment for sin, all the uh, consequences of sin on himself So that if we believe in him, we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life. The journey has moved forward from brokenness to restoration, but there's so much more to it. We haven't arrived yet, have we? Just because we accept Jesus as our Savior, we become alive in him. Our spirit man is made alive. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but our personality is still not very much like Jesus. We have a whole lot of growing to do to become like him. And that's one of the things that he has called us to do is that we should become like him. Now in that, when we read that we're born again, that's right out of John 3, it means that our spirit has been made alive again because of what God has done in us. But our souls, our personalities, still have a ways to go. Excuse me. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Everything has become new. That is not true physically, is it? Because this is not all new, right? It's getting older and grayer and fatter and wrinklier and etc. We don't need to go farther than that, right? Still suffering the consequences of sin here, okay? Our personality has not been all made new because we still have thoughts that aren't very godly. We still have emotions that are not right. We still have memories and woundedness in our spirits or in our souls that need attention and they need healing. We're not all new. But it's our spirit that's born again and made new. And when God makes us new, does he make us, eh, okay, 
Or does he make us very good like he made Adam and Eve? Very good. In fact, he says, we are the righteousness of Christ. And our spirits, when we're born again, we're righteous. We have that right standing with God. We have that life of God in us. Jesus comes to live in us by his spirit, and we're made new. The problem is, that's not the end of the story. We have to learn how to live out who we are in him so that we express it in the reality of our daily lives. Okay, It's not just theory, it's something to live out. And so he has prepared for us a journey of transformation. When you trust Christ as your Savior and you say, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins, be my Savior, come into my life, I give myself to you, that's a point in time and that's an immediate response from God that he gives you his life, he gives you his spirit then. But there is a process that's going to last from the time you accept Jesus right through till the time you die when you are learning to be like him, when you're learning to express who you are and to follow his leading. And so we have this journey that we're on as God leads us through that. And there are steps in the journey that he wants us to take. He wants us, for example, to know who we are in him. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, From now on we should know no one according to the flesh. See, we're really used to identifying people by what they look like, by what they sound like, by uh, what they do. Yeah, that's so-and-so. That's him, all right. And we just evaluate people for their outward appearance or their outward behavior, but we don't look at people and say, who is that man or woman in their spirit? Who has God made them to be? And I believe that's a foundational truth. We have to come to grips with the fact that if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, he has made us new, and we have an identity in him. And I believe that that identity is not just sort of some cookie-cutter event where, you know, chomp out another one, just like put him through the machine. He makes us individual, and I know that because it says we should be able to recognize one another. Because we're individuals, because we're unique and we're distinct. He didn't make David to be Don Boyd. In fact, I remember once when I was in Africa teaching, I was on a team and I had, was with some very gifted teachers and gifted uh, speakers and they're just amazing people. And, and the enemy's just kicking me around the corner one night because I'm laying in bed going, why did I come? They don't need me on this team. Everybody's a better preacher than I am. La, 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 la. And I'm just like getting hammered and hammered at night. And I had to preach the next day and it was just like, oh. And the Lord said, if being you in a situation isn't enough, trying to be somebody else isn't going to help. Right? We have to learn to be who we are and to accept who we are and to do that on the face of the earth. So I'm laying there and I'm listening to all these great preachers all week long and I have to get up and I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher. I get up, I get my three points, I sit down, I shut up and that's the end of it. And you know what the Lord said? It's okay to be a teacher because I made you to be a teacher. All right. I don't know what God has made you to be, but he's made you to be something, and you'd better find out what that is and then go do that. Okay, You are released to be you because God made you the way you are for a purpose. Some of us think, I've got nothing to bring, I can't do anything. That's not true. That's the voice of the enemy telling you that you have no destiny and you have no identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible says you do. 
So we have an identity, and I believe the Lord wants us to know what that identity is, and he will reveal it to you if you ask him, Lord, who am I in your eyes? When you think about me, what do you feel? What emotions do I evoke in your heart when you think about me? And you know what? It's always better than we think it's going to be. Some people are like, I'm not going there because I know what a scumbag I am. You know? But the reality is that when God sees us, he sees us through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ in the righteousness as the finished product that he wants us to be. And if we really believe that, we would be running to him going, Lord Jesus, who am I? What do you have for me to do? And so we move down the, the, the road in life, and, and a big step forward is to know who you are in Christ. But then there's that other question of what do you want me to do? What is the destiny that you have for me? Why did you make me the way you made me? And what is it you want me to accomplish in life? And I believe that the Lord wants us to know that. He wants us to release, to be released into that as we follow him. And so part of the, the journey is not only come to that place of who am I in Christ, but also to be freed up from the wounds of the past. And, and as I said, there's woundedness. There's all sorts of emotional turmoil. The things of life have come against us. Not only do they teach us they're no good, that we're no good, but they teach us that we're, you know, we have all these damaged emotions and we carry them around. The woundedness that might have happened two weeks or two years or 20 years ago, it's left this wounded place of sorrow and heaviness and anger maybe in us. And the Lord wants us to fr- be free from all of that. And so he says, come to me and let me heal you. You know, in... in um, Isaiah 61, it says, Surely he is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And you read all of that. And, and at the cross, not only did Jesus pay for our sins, but he bore our sorrows. And he wants to take them from us. And just the same way that we have to come to the cross with the sins that we have done, we can come to the cross with the things that are being done to us and our woundedness. And he will take them from us if we allow him to do so. And so we have that whole area of our life where we need to come to a place of inner healing and to get the counseling that we need and to get healed up from the wounds of the past. And, you know, there is tremendous freedom that's available to us when we bring our woundedness to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what you've suffered. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what it is you've had to deal with. I don't care what you're dealing with now. If you bring it to Jesus he can bring healing to it. He can bring emotional healing to us. And that will free us to be who we're supposed to be so that we can do the things that we are supposed to do. And God has this wonderful plan. I mean, we've heard it so often, it almost becomes trite. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You heard that before? Guess what? It's true. He loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. The problem is if we don't learn to trust God, we don't believe his plan is wonderful. Because you know what? Sometimes it's also hard. Right? We evaluate God's will and God's plan by how easy and how pleasant it was. Oh, that turned out really happy. It must have been God's will. Sometimes God's will will take us to difficult places and call us to make difficult decisions. How many people when called to the mission field have to 
to deal with the reality of, but if I do that, I won't have a paycheck and I have to leave my family behind and we'll have to learn it. You know, and, and they threw up all the reasons why they can't do what God wants them to do because they almost, it's because they don't believe that God's will will be good for them. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not good. Okay? And God has this plan for our lives that he wants to take us on this journey so that we can experience his goodness. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the right thing to do. So that you may prove experientially what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God has a good will for your life, but if you do not give yourself to that will, you're never going to experience it. We do not fall into the will of God. We march into it. We pursue it. God, what do you have for me to do? And you know what? Sometimes that will appear like it's going to mess up our lives big time because he might take us out of our comfort zone. He might make us ask us to do some changes. He might ask us to do things that are difficult. But it will always be good if it's his will. I'm sure many of you have experienced that. I know it is from my experience. When God deals with us and he leads us to do something, yes, it can be tough. But you look back and you say, that was a good thing. Because God's will is good. And that's my testimony is God's will is good. He will take you to a good place if you allow him to lead. And so just as was mentioned, I think Pastor Dave said it earlier, we need to learn to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's part of our journey is learning to walk with him and be led with him or by him into that place of the things that God has for us. And how do we do that, folks? We simply ask. And he tells us. A few years ago, I was asked to um, interview and put my application into pastor at a church in a different denomination, and I had to fill out all this paperwork and um, deliver it to the head office. And I went in thinking I was just going to do a mail drop, and and, uh, the lady behind the desk says, do you want to meet so-and-so? Well, I didn't know who that was, but okay, why not? I'm here. And they took me into the office of who turned... The person who turned out to be the watch, the theological watchdog for their denomination. And this person proceeded to grill me for about 45 minutes about what I believed. And, uh, excuse me. In the process, I had mentioned that I used to be a real people pleaser, but I wasn't anymore. And she goes, what do you mean you used to be a people pleaser and you're not now? And I said, well, I used to live my whole life worrying about what do people think? How can I impress them? How can I make them happy? But I don't do that anymore. I've learned to play to an audience of one. I just have to do whatever makes Jesus happy. And this person goes, and how do you know what makes Jesus happy? And I went, I ask him questions and he tells me answers. It's like we have a conversation. And the person went. (laughs) It was foreign territory to that person. Like They're like, Are you insane? But let me tell you, when you listen to God and you do what he says, it turns out okay. Right? Even though sometimes it's crazy. Right? Sometimes you have your sermon all prepared and he says, don't do that, do this. It's like, ah, okay. That was my morning. It's like, why did I say I'd come? Anyway. 
I'm an administrator and I like to have A, B, C, D, and then God says, I want you to fly by the seat of your pants and just do what I tell you to do. And it's a stretch. But folks, we need to listen to the voice of the Spirit and be led by Him. Even when it doesn't make a whole lot of common sense. That's another step down the road, isn't it? And we become like Him by obeying Him and by believing Him and by learning to think his thoughts after him. And that produces in our lives something called the fruit of the Spirit. All those good qualities of love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering, all those great things can only be produced in us as we learn to be like him. You know, somehow we have it in our warped little thinking that we can live like the devil and still experience those things doesn't work that way we need to learn to be like jesus so that we will experience those things and the more like jesus we become the more we're going to walk in those things anybody not want to experience love and joy and peace and patience goodness okay pretty much everybody wants that the price to get there is to be led by a spirit to become like the lord jesus christ So let me wrap up. We've got one more chapter, if I can put it this way. That process is going to take place as long as you live. You're never going to arrive. In fact, if you've got somebody that stands here and says that I'm already perfect and I have all my theology battened down and I know everything there is to know, run from that person, okay, because they're deceived. We're in process, and that process is going to last forever until we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's the favorite part. My favorite part is in 1 John 3. Beloved, it has not yet appeared what we shall be. Now we, are, now we are the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. And the last part of this earthly journey ends not on this earth, but when we see him. When we stand in heaven and face to face and we see the Lord Jesus Christ, and in that instant we're going to be transformed and the transformation process will come to a completion and we will be like him. Not just more like him, not just better. We will be perfected to be exactly like the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what, folks? The destiny of Christianity is not so much a place It's a person. His destiny for us is to become like his son. Right back in to where we started as the representation, representatives in the likeness of God, where he could say, very good. When we stand before the Lord, whether he comes or whether we die and go to be with him, we will be made exactly like him. And that's our hope. It's almost beyond comprehension. What would Don Boyd look like if he was exactly like the Lord Jesus Christ? We don't get there here, do we? It's only when we get to heaven and we're complete. In the meantime, we're in process. Some of us processing faster than others. Some of us just biding our time. But let me encourage you, we want to run into that process and say, Lord, make me like you today. Teach me to be like you today. Teach me to do what you want me to do today so that I am an accurate representation of you. You know, the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
It's because of our sin that we don't accurately represent the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we grow in our likeness, we become better representatives. And you know what? We tend to think of, okay, we made it to heaven. That's the end of the story. But it's not because the Bible says there will be a new heavens and a new earth. But the good news is we will forever be with the Lord. There will be no falling away that time. We will forever be with him, enjoying all that he has for us. All the things we miss out here on this life, we're going to have the opportunity to experience that in the next. And that is our hope. And so when I read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, it is by faith. It is because we accept the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death in our place. My question is, have you accepted his death? Are you in covenant relationship with him because he loves you and he died for you to pay for your sins so that you could live and you could go free? My second question is, do you know who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you asked him, who am I in your eyes? Would you show me? Would you tell me and help me to live that out? My third question is, where are you fighting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you're not becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ? Where have you put the brakes on? Where have you said no to God? Because he would like you to start agreeing with him and start coming into line with him and become like the Lord Jesus Christ in the practical reality of your life. Is there some area of your life where you know, I'm not like Jesus and I should be? And if so, that's something you can bring to the Lord this morning as well. Lastly, do you enjoy that confidence that because I know the Lord Jesus Christ, I know where I'm going. I don't have to wonder. See, Jesus, or the Bible doesn't say, these things have been written that you might hope that you have eternal life says these have been written that you might know that you have eternal life they that have the son have life and those who do not have the son do not have life so that's my question do you know the lord jesus christ do you know who you are are you fighting him someplace and if not why not give in to him today jesus name